Uh, well, good morning. I'm glad to have you with us. We're in this teaching series where we're going through the life of Joseph together, where we're seeking to understand as best we can how to live faithful to the things of God in our midst and how we can uh, live our life the way that God would have us live according to his teachings and how that might look like in our individual lives. If we haven't met yet, uh, my name is Brian Robertson. I'm the lead pastor here at the church. Very glad that you're here and joining with us uh, this morning as we kind of dive into this portion of Joseph's story and we do it together. As we've seen the last couple of weeks, Joseph's story is filled with twists and turns and ups and downs and things you wouldn't expect to have happen and things that are happening and all the things that you're you're not really sure what's going on until you see some of the writings behind it and you see the things that are coming ups and downs that, throughout his life and yet you see joseph as best he can remaining faithful to god as best he can in the, all the twists and turns and things that are coming at joseph you see him remaining faithful as best as he can and if you pay attention to joseph's life in particular you pay attention to the kind of overarching themes in joseph's life you'll see these same themes come up time and time again. The first theme that you see that we talked about a couple of weeks ago is that our external circumstances don't dictate if the Lord is with us. That while we may think that our external circumstances dictate if the Lord is with us, the truth that we see in Joseph's life is that external circumstances don't always dictate if the Lord, if we can understand that the Lord is with us. And then we'll see also that our primary goal in life, as it was for Joseph, is to honor God with all of our life, to do our life in a way that honors God. We see these same themes kind of coming around and around in Joseph's life. So keep those in your mind as we get into this portion of Joseph's story. Well, before we jump into the scripture and before we jump into what we may learn here, let's pray and ask God to teach us what he may teach us, and then we'll, we'll get into it a little bit this morning. Jesus, we come before you and become, we come before your word. And we're grateful that you have preserved it and handed it down and, and have, uh, it's useful to us. They've given it to us to, to rebuke and teach and lead us to lives of righteousness and holiness. So we come before the story this morning and we pray that it would not just be a story that we hear about, but that we would sense your spirit nudging us to be more faithful to you as a result of hearing and watching Joseph's life. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, at the time of the reading that, uh, that we just heard about, Joseph was enslaved in Egypt. He had been sold by his brothers, if you remember, to these slave traders. And they had taken off to Egypt, and now he's been bought by a guy named Potiphar, and he's been kind of growing up in Potiphar's world there and in, in his house. And we saw last week that Joseph and his work ethic and his integrity and the way in which he carried himself, he was given promotion. He was able to give basically reign over all of Potiphar's house. He was able to give rule and authority all over wherever Potiphar gave him. And it resulted in this kind of life that was really good and, and, and fruitful and things were do- going well for Joseph. And Potiphar's wife, we come to this story this morning, Potiphar's wife, we're told, he finds him very attractive. He's a well-built young man. And he finds him attractive, and she comes to him very boldly, and she wants him to sleep with her. She says, sleep with me, lie down with me, tempting him right in front of his face. And yet he remains faithful. He remains a person of deep moral character, high integrity, and she's scorned by this. And she is bitter. By it. She falsely accuses him of rape or of seeking to abuse her or seeking to come over her. 
and to, and to take his way with her. She has him thrown into prison. And we'll see later in, in the story that he's going to spend a couple years in prison, at least two, maybe two and a half years in prison for a crime he didn't commit. For a crime he didn't commit. But again, if you pay attention to Joseph's story. Pay attention to the overarching themes in Joseph's story. And you'll see these sayings come back again, that the Lord is still with Joseph even in prison. That his external circumstances didn't dictate if the Lord was near him, if the Lord was close to him. That these things keep coming back in Joseph's desire to honor God, no matter what happens, to honor God. But this morning, I want us to consider something that you learned from Joseph's life here this morning. And it's very practical. It's very practical for wherever we are. We need to learn something from Joseph, and that is to learn how to resist temptation. How to resist temptation. Because the life that you and I have been invited into by God himself is a life of holiness, transformed and utterly good, high moral character, deep integrity. We are instructed, the Apostle Peter in the Newer Testament uh, book of 1 Peter instructs us to live holy lives, he says, because God himself is holy and we are his followers. We are his apprentices. We are his people. So we are to live holy lives, he says. The Apostle Paul tells us that we are to put to death our old way of life, our old ways of life of, that are sinful and, and habitual and kind of sinking down into depravity. That We are to put that off and that we are to pick up a new way of life, a way of, that is being renewed in the image of Christ, in the image of God Himself, to pick up the way of holiness and righteousness and goodness, utterly good and transformed into His image. Jesus Himself tells us that our lives are to be characterized by such inner holiness, not like the Pharisees. That our righteousness ought to surpass that of the Pharisees, Jesus says, and have an inner heart that is holy, not just outward appearances, but have an inner heart that is transformed by the renewing of our mind, that our hearts would be cleansed, and that we would live holy, upright, righteous lives. And yet temptation is all around us. Temptation is all around us. Every one of us is tempted in one way or another. No one is immune to this. We're told even that Jesus himself was tempted. So there's not a single person that walks the face of the planet that is immune to temptation. We all have it. We all face it. Temptation to depart from the life that God has given us in Christ, an eternal, abundant life that he has come to give us in all of our life. We're tempted to satisfy the desires of our heart in ways that are unholy, in ways that are unrighteous, in ways that circumvent God's goodness for us. But what we see in Joseph is the strength of character to resist the temptation that comes. Now, His temptation was sensual, was to lie with Potiphar's wife, to satisfy his sexual desires in a way that is unholy unrighteous, unbecoming someone who's following after God. And while our temptation may be different, each of us can learn something from Joseph. While our temptations aren't nearly necessarily as bold as Potiphar's wife coming right before us, each of us, wherever we are in our life with God, can learn something from Joseph about how to resist and live holy lives in an unholy culture. So I'm really glad that you're here this morning. Wherever you are in your faith journey, whether you've been following Jesus for five minutes or for 65 years, I'm glad that you're here because temptation is something we all deal with. Temptation is something that we all have to 
struggle through and find out how can we remain faithful to God and live holy, upright, integrity-filled lives in a culture that is unholy and tempting us all the time. So I want us to notice a few things about temptation, about temptation itself that we see in the text this morning. And the first thing I want us to notice about temptation is that temptation doesn't just go away. Temptation doesn't just go away. If you're someone who's thinking that you simply by ignoring it or put your head in the sand or or pretend that you're not tempted or pretend that temptation really isn't there, that somehow it's just going to go away on its own, then I'm sorry to tell you this morning, but you're sorely mistaken. That's just not the way temptation works. It doesn't just go away on its own. Notice what's going on in Joseph's story. And if you're paying attention to your own story and your own struggle with temptation, I think you'll see the same thing is true in your own life. The temptation to lie with Potiphar's wife comes over and over again. It keeps coming. It tries to wear him down to finally get him to say yes. That's just the way temptation works. Tries to wear you down. Maybe this time she'll say yes to that. Maybe this time he'll say yes to that. And you may be able to resist for a period of time, but if you're going to dig your head or pour your head in the sand and kind of close your eyes and plug your ears and just assume that temptation is going to leave you alone, well, then you're sorely mistaken. Temptation doesn't just go away on its own. It hounds us. It's relentless. It keeps coming. So the first thing I want you to know about temptation is that it doesn't just go away on its own. Second thing I want us to notice about temptation from the text here is that success leads to vulnerability. Success leads to vulnerability. Let me explain what I mean by this. Joseph, if you remember, had grown up in Potiphar's life or Potiphar's world and he had gained some success. His work ethic, his, his integrity, the way he could be trusted had gained him some success. He was given freedom to reign and do whatever he wanted to do in Potiphar's world and to kind of go after things. And give him the free walk or reign all over the whole estate. You do whatever you want to do. Nobody was keeping an eye on Joseph anymore. The success that he had gained in, in Potiphar's world, the, the trust that he had gained from Potiphar, nobody was watching over this slave boy anymore. They let him do whatever he wanted to do. And it leaves us vulnerable. It leaves us vulnerable. You see, temptation really isn't all that appealing when we know everyone's watching us. Right? When you, when you know that everyone's watching you to make sure you are where you're supposed to be, that you're not doing the things you're not supposed to be doing, that you're going where you're supposed to do, and all that stuff, temptation really isn't all that appealing. Because you know you're going to get caught. You're going to get found out. Someone's watching you, right? But what happens when you have success and you have trust that's built up and those kind of things are, are happening and all of a sudden it's then that you are more vulnerable. Because when someone's eyes are watching you, well, then you're ultra vigilant to be sure to do your very best, to be on your best behavior because mom and dad are watching, right? To always do what you're supposed to do. But when eyes stop watching you, when no one's checking in on you, well, there's a tendency to drop our guard. There's a tendency to lay our guard down. And when no one's watching, that's when we can become vulnerable. Because remember, the first point about temptation is that just it doesn't just go away. It doesn't just go away. It's relentless. And the more freedom and successes we get, sometimes we can replace vigilance with complacency and we just kind of let our guard down it's at those times that we are very vulnerable 
Some years ago, I had a friend who was a part of a recovery group. And he was going to be sharing his testimony at his recovery group on one evening. And he invited me to come along and to hear his story and to hear his testimony to this group. So I drove with him. We met and we drove over to the place where they were having this recovery group. And he got up and he stood up and he talked about how he was a recovering alcoholic. But it had been years, almost decades, since he had even touched a drop of alcohol. And while he said the temptation had substantially subsided, he still identified himself as a recovering alcoholic. We got in the car, we were heading home, and I asked him about that. I said, why did you call yourself a recovering alcoholic? Why wouldn't you call yourself that that was, I used to be an alcoholic? Like that was my old life. I mean, it had been years since you'd even touched it. And the, the temptation had substantially subsided. So why don't you just say that that was your past? That it used to be there. Why call yourself a recovering alcoholic? And he said something that I'll never forget. He told me that by identifying as a recovering alcoholic, even after all these years, it helps him keep his guard up. While he recognized that he had taken great strides and deal with the temptation, and while it had indeed substantially subsided, and while it was really not much of a temptation anymore, he still recognized that he has the capacity to fall and to give in to that temptation still. So he identifies even years after as a recovering alcoholic. I think there's wisdom here. I think there's wisdom here. While you and I may see substantial growth in our spiritual life, there are areas that we are tempted, we once were tempted really strongly before, while we may see some substantial growth and we're not as tempted anymore, it is still wise for us to recognize that we are continually vulnerable because temptation doesn't just go away. It doesn't just go away. Third thing I want us to notice about temptation from Joseph's story here is that sin breaks relationships. Wherever it is, sin breaks relationships. Joseph recognizes that if you were to give in to this temptation and say yes to the temptation and walk down the road of sin, then it would be a breach of trust and relationship between he and Potiphar. But not just that. He un- understands that ultimately it would be a breach of trust and a breakdown of relationship between him and God. He says, how can I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Joseph knew something about sin that is good for us to remember. That sin so easily entangles us and traps us away from a life with God. The life, the eternal, abundant life that He's come to give us. Sin so easily entraps us. So in order to resist or, or to push against the temptation and to remain holy and righteous in an unholy and unrighteous culture, we need to see sin for what it actually is and the damage that it causes us. The relationships that are right here and the human relationships and the relationship between us and God. We need to see it for what it really is. One definition of spiritual maturity is not just that we're avoiding temptation, but a good definition of spiritual maturity is that we have clarity of vision. Clarity of vision. The ability to see through what it promises in the immediate and to recognize it for what it actually is. The brokenness, the pain, and the offense against God. And until we see sin for what it is, until we have clarity of vision and see through the immediate promises and what it actually is, then we are not going to be able to live the abundant eternal life that Christ has come to give us. 
Spiritual maturity isn't when you cease to be tempted. Spiritual maturity is when you see through it to what it really is. And you make a decision based on what it really is, not based on what it promises you. Does that make sense? So how do you learn from Joseph? Those are what we see about temptation. What do you learn from Joseph about how to remain vigilant and how to resist and be a holy, righteous person in an unholy and unrighteous culture? How do we deal with temptation? First suggestion is that we need to engage in what's called mind discipleship. Mind discipleship. While it's not really explicit in the text here, remember that Joseph kept his mind on things of God. That his highest priority, his first priority, was to think about what would bring God honor. How can I honor God with my whole life? To think about what God would desire in this situation. Not just what I would desire, but what would God desire? The Apostle Paul in Colossians chapter 3 writes it this way. He says, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. You see, our minds are powerful muscles. And when we allow them to linger on things that are unholy or unrighteous, then we will find ourselves easily entangled by that sin and by that temptation. But we are instructed both by Paul and by Peter and Jesus Himself, we are instructed to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. To set our minds on things above. To allow God to concentrate in our, in our minds and in our inner thoughts. And one of the best practices I know how to do or how to engage in mind discipleship is just simply Scripture memorization. Where we take chunks of Scripture and we just internalize them. Where we seek to memorize parts of Scripture to keep it in the front of our mind, to keep our minds on things above. So I'm going to suggest that we do that. As a practical practice of how to remain holy or righteous in an unholy and unrighteous culture, that we engage in the practice of Scripture memorization. And I'm going to say we, pray, we memorize this passage. Colossians chapter 3, and actually start in verse 1. Chapter 3, verse 1 through 4. And over these next few weeks, just simply commit that, that passage to memory. Read it a few times. Read it over. Write it down if that would help you. But simply commit this passage to memory. And to learn to set your mind on things above. Not on earthly things. Set your mind on things above. So one of the ways we deal with temptation is through the process or the practice of mind discipleship. A second way in which we deal with temptation, and this is super practical, but we see it in Joseph's life, and that is we flee from sin. Flee from it. Get up and move from it. Joseph is confronted with this temptation and he does one of the wisest things he could have done in that situation. He moves. He gets up and he leaves. Gets away from the temptation. Gets away from the situation. And while it's certainly wise to leave the immediate temptation, it's also get the sense from Joseph that he's doing what he can to avoid it in some other circumstance. To do his, go about his work and just make sure that I avoid Potiphar's wife because I know where the temptation is going to come. To avoid the place where the temptation is the strongest. Here I just simply want to give us some really good piece of wisdom here. Pay attention to your surroundings. Pay attention to the people that are in your surroundings. The environment itself. And pay attention to where the places are and who the people are where temptation is the greatest for you. And you would be wise to put up appropriate boundaries there. 
Pay attention to the environment and the people around you where temptation seems to be the greatest. And it would be wise to put up boundaries. I mean, that makes sense, right? I mean, think of it this way. If you understand your temptation is to gravitate towards overindulging in food and just gorging yourself, then every Sunday after church, going to an all-you-can-eat buffet is probably not the good idea. Put some distance between you and the buffet table, right? It's just wise. If you know that you are prone to, towards temptation of gossip and slander and knowing everybody's business, then staying clear of people who make it their job or their habit to be in everyone else's business is probably wise, right? Put some space between you and the people or the environments where you find yourself temptation is the greatest for you. So the wisdom you see in Joseph of resisting temptation is he sees it. He knows where the environment is. He knows who it is, and he puts some space between he and the temptation. Just wise there. Flee from it. Distance. Boundaries. Some wisdom. Third thing we learn about resisting temptation from Joseph's life, and as we are not to confuse the immediate results. Don't confuse the immediate results. I want you to remember what happens in Joseph's story. He does the right thing. He does the right thing often. He does it again and again. He decides in his mind to honor God above all things, to, to pursue righteous and holy living, to not satisfy sexual desires in the ways that are unholy or unrighteous. He flees from it, he puts himself some distance between he and Potiphar's wife. But notice what happens to him. He's falsely accused thrown into prison is going to spend a couple years there for a crime he doesn't commit friends sometimes when you do the right thing sometimes when you choose to be a person of integrity and you resist temptation sometimes things go really well for you things are are turn making a turn for you sometimes things go really great and you experience the blessing of success when you choose to do the right thing and other times other times you choose to do the right thing and you're not commended for it Sometimes you choose to do the right thing and actually you suffer for it. Joseph suffers for doing the right thing. And while it's not popular to say, sometimes you will too. Sometimes when you choose a holy, righteous, upright, integrity-filled life, sometimes it will go well and other times you will suffer. But remember the theme in Joseph's life. Our external circumstances do not dictate if the Lord is with us. Sometimes if you put space between you and a coworker who seems bent on gossip, you might suffer the loss of a friendship there. And you'll suffer for doing the right thing. When you know that your temptation is to overwork, to prioritize material goods over relationships, to want to buy this and have that and go there, and, and your temptation is to overwork, and then you, but yet you set up some boundaries so that you don't have to work as long, and you don't have to do all those things, then you might get overlooked for the promotion at work. They might give it to someone else who seems to be more dedicated to their work. And you might suffer because you don't have the financial resources to do all the things that you really want to do. And you might suffer for doing the right thing. Joseph did the right thing, and he suffered. In the immediate, things don't always work out for them. 
And in the immediate, things may not always work out for us. But praise be to God, that last part of that passage, right? Even in the suffering, even in the prison cell, even when he's falsely accused, even when things are stripped away from him, even when things don't look like they're going well, the Lord is still with him. His external circumstances don't dictate if the Lord is with him. There he was, stuck in some cell, not clearly not seeing with the immediate thing, but the Lord is with him. Now, eventually, the Lord's going to bring him out of it, and he's going to rise up, and he's going to have some great things for him. We'll get to that in the coming weeks, right? But it's not in the immediate. It's not in the immediate right now. What he's facing right now is suffering. And Joseph models for us a commitment to holy living in an unholy surrounding environment, even when the immediate results are not what he wanted. Even when the immediate results means he's going to suffer and he's going to be unjustly treated, his character remained intact. His integrity was still good. He set his mind on what God would have for him. And he walked that road. Friends, that's character worth emulating for us. It's the kind of character worth modeling our life with. But I certainly can't leave this portion of Joseph's story without thinking about a question. Certainly can't leave this without understanding. We can understand how to resist temptation and how to live holy lives in an unholy culture. We can do that. But we certainly can't close the book on this portion of Joseph's life without asking the question, what happens if we fail to do what Joseph did? What happens when temptation in our life has gotten the best of us? For that, I just have one word, one final word for us. Our God is rich in forgiveness for those who repent. Our God is rich in forgiveness for those who repent. See, I get this from the experience of another biblical character, famous person who faced similar temptation that Joseph did, but he succumbed to the tempter. He gave in. King David after his adulterous affair with Bathsheba. There's a good chance that he wrote a couple of the Psalms in the book of Psalms after this experience. There's a good chance he wrote Psalm 32 as one of those. Listen to what David writes. Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered, Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in whose spirit is not deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. The Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts Him. Friends, you and I are always, are, are all tempted. There's not a person in this room, there's not a person that's walked the face of the planet that has not faced temptation. It's true of each one of us. And while our temptations may be different, the truth is that sometimes we have the moral aptitude to stand up and to resist. 
And other times we fail. Other times we fail. Other times we give in. And we go down the road that is sinful. But don't leave here without experiencing the grace that comes through confession. Friends, our God is rich in forgiveness for those who repent. Those who turn their life and acknowledge their sins. David said, while I was silent, my bones wasted away through groaning all day long. Then I acknowledged my sin to you. I didn't cover it up. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Friends, our God is rich in forgiveness for those who repent. Don't leave today without experiencing the grace that comes through confession. We're going to give you a minute or two of this. Give some space in the quietness of your own heart to do some business with God this morning. To maybe identify an area or two in which you are tempted. Tempted to deviate from God's desire of holiness and righteousness, integrity. Areas where you're tempted to shade to color in the gray areas and to kind of blur the lines between what's right and what's wrong. Just simply identify an area or two and in the heart of hearts commit to a life of holy living in an unholy environment. To righteous living in an unrighteous culture. But also I want to give you a minute or two to just be quiet and reflect and in your heart do some business with God and to acknowledge times when you have failed to acknowledge your sin acknowledge it for what it is then ask the lord for forgiveness this morning writer in the newer testament says if we confess our sins he is holy and just and will forgive us all our sin don't leave this morning without the grace of forgiveness that comes through confession. I would invite you to just quiet your hearts, bow your heads, close your eyes, and just we're going to give you a few minutes here, a few moments of silent reflection to do some business with God. Wherever you are in your life with God, to do some business with Him. And in a moment, Jason and the band will come and they'll lead us in a responsive song. But just take this moment and do some business. What's the business that the Lord would have you do this morning?